Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Dan Dillon. Dan is responsible for all aspects of Reveal Mobile's marketing strategy, execution and measurements centered on generating qualified demand, sales pipeline, and MRR. He has nearly 20 years of software marketing experience with expertise in marketing and sales alignment, revenue marketing, positioning and messaging, influencer marketing, content marketing, and PR. Welcome to Revenue Rehab, Dan. Your session begins now. Hey, Brandy. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. I am excited to talk to you today um, and, and definitely a really hot topic that we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So tell me, what buzzword would you like to banish forever? Fun. I like this question. Um, forever. Oh, man a long time let's say dark social ah that's a good one uh so why don't you like that buzzword this is what it just sounds sinister right like it just sounds ugly and scary um so it's i think really what it's supposed to get to is the immeasurableness of it all like it's dark right we can't see it it's a black box or hidden whatever um fact of the matter is, uh, that's really where conversations happen and people recommend and take action, right? So yeah. the short version is, I think one day it'll be measurable. Uh, but we just need to get rid of this notion that, you know, it's dark. There's something yucky about that. Yeah. And I also think that there, I mean, to a certain extent, there's always going to be the unknown social, which I think is probably a better definition is all the things that, you know, are happening that we can't actually tie back to who's doing it. And I mean, to a certain extent, there's always going to be that and it doesn't have to be ominous. Like it just, it kind of is what it is. And I know it is what it is, is one of the uh, buzzwords <laughs> that a previous guest banished, but uh, you know, it just, it, it just, it kind of is. And, and, it's okay. And I think that's where, you know, the obsession with measuring things, um, which, and I jokingly say obsession, like I, I believe that measurement is really important, but we're, you know, to your point, we can't at least yet measure every single action. Not yet. That day will come. <laughs> I will take your word for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but at least for this conversation, we won't use dark social. Cool. Uh, and so now that we've gotten that off our chest, tell me what brings you to Revenue Rehab? I am here to talk about a hidden, speaking of hidden, a hidden part of the marketing value chain uh, that often goes either ignored or is often taken for granted. And it's influencer marketing. It's the, it's the group of people. It's the group of 
entities that are out there either working for you and providing tailwinds <clears throat> or uh, working against you uh, to the best of your, you know, despite your best efforts. So it's, it's a really cool category of marketing that uh, everyone benefits from. Yeah, and I, I have a, a lot of, I think I have more questions than I have insight on this topic. So I'm looking forward to diving into it. Um, but before we get started, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus, it gives us purpose. And most important, it gives our audience an understanding of what they should expect from our conversation today. So tell me, what is your best intention? What are your hopes that people will take away from our discussion today? Uh, I appreciate you asking. That's a great way to frame it. Uh, I would say my intention is that brand is demand. So this is a conversation that bridges both of those worlds. Uh, and as marketers, we we can do all those things and more. Um, and influencer marketing really joins together this notion of the immeasurable brand aspect of a business and the highly measurable demand aspect. So I hope that's a I hope that's a a, a union that we can talk through. I love it. Um, so I'll go ahead and jump in. And, you know, I have a, a, a close friend and colleague who I've known for years. She's worked in influencer marketing for some of the biggest names in the tech industry. And I've seen the the activations that she's had and the how wildly successful that is. Um, however, every company that she's worked for is B2C. Mm -hmm. And I think where I struggle is really making the connection between what I've learned of influencer marketing in a B2C environment with how that applies to B2B. And so give me some insight, like how do you define influencer marketing for B2B and is it the same as the B2C side? It's not. Um, I'll paint a picture for you. So it's a great way to think through influencer marketing. It's very commonly used in the B2C realm. And a lot of people have heard of it and, and experienced it on that front. In B2B, it's quite different. So if you put, think of three concentric circles. In that center circle, the bullseye, if you will, is the buyer, right? Your customer, the prospect, call them whatever you want. The person who gives you money for the thing you're selling. That's the center of it all. Outside of that circle is you, uh, the the competitive set all the different ways that your customer can solve their problem right so there's two concentric circles sitting between those two sitting between your your customer and you and your competition is all of these influencers and these are journalists they're analysts they're consultants they're bloggers uh they are um people on dark social oh i think i broke the rule <laughs> Um, all the people who are talking about you good and, you know, favorably un and unfavorably and influencing that decision. So the word media is a great word to use here because the media ultimately mediates our understanding of a topic or of an issue. Well, in influencer marketing, everybody is the media because they're all mediating perceptions and behaviors between you and your buyer. And so what I'm hearing here is on the B2B side is that Really, it's a reframing of how we think about influencer marketing because analyst relations, for example, is definitely a hot topic and something that most B2B companies are paying attention to. But I've never really thought of 
analyst relations as influencer marketing, even though those are some of the biggest influencers, you know, in various industries, but especially tech. So, you know, when I initially like naturally think of influencers, I'm thinking of the TikTokers and the Instagrammers and, you know, the celebrities that are considered, you know, and it, it, it really is what you're saying is don't think about it as a different thing. Just think about it in a different way in those people that are key to those B2B brands. That's right. An important distinction is that in social media or B2C influencer marketing, oftentimes those influencers are compensated, right? They're either given free product or they're given remuneration for actually talking about your brand. Uh, in B2B influencer marketing, that's a big no-no, right? You can't pay off a journalist, certainly. That would be unethical. You can't necessarily pay off an analyst. Now, you can be an analyst client. You can be a paying customer of Gartner, IDC, or Forrester, or any of the boutique shops. But you can't pay somebody money to say something nice about you in B2B influencer marketing. So to think about it in simple terms, it's everybody who's talking about you and is not paying you money or receiving money for any of your stuff. Whereas in B2C influencer marketing, there's oftentimes an affiliate marketing angle to it, which of course, you know, money changes hands there. Okay. And I do, I have seen a number of organizations that at least claim, because I haven't worked with any of them, so I don't have, you know, any insider knowledge, but that at least claim to be able to harness that B2C relationship on the B2B side and connect you with influencers. And, you know, like I see these things being promoted. Yes. So is there a subsegment on the B2B influencer side that does mirror that we would pay for? Um, it's a it's a really astute question. I guess I would say there are services available or there are technologies available to you that will help you discern who your influencer set is, but they themselves are not influencers. They are a, a methodology for, for figuring stuff out. Um, so I, I guess I would, at, at risk of being, you know, totally wrong, there's really no, re there's no real viable pay to play path in B2B influencer marketing. It's really about relationship. It's about, um, nurturing, it's about goodwill, it's about trust and being in service. So all those things that maybe just make a good salesperson. Okay. So we think about those people that are sort of operating as salespeople on our behalf. They're not customers, you know, we're, we're like, they're not making money from us, but they are right. speaking highly of us. Um, Ideally, yes. Okay. So if we as marketing leaders want to tap into this as a channel, what does that really look like? Like what are, you know, we're, we're at the beginning of the year and we're doing plans and, and trying to uh, enable things. So what does that look like for me? What am I communicating to my team? What am I expecting? Like help me paint a picture for what this looks like in action. So it starts with people. Um, oftentimes we think of Gartner or we think of this uh, media outlet or we think of this organization. And those are important things to, to isolate and focus on. But who inside of those organizations, who at Gartner, who at the Wall Street Journal, whatever, um, is important for you to have on your influencer marketing radar, right? So the very first step is to get down to the human being uh, that you're ultimately going to try to 
win over, right? By virtue of relationship and through, you know, through good being in good service. Um, oftentimes, you know, the, the brain says, oh, well, we got to have, you know, TechCrunch on our side. Or we got to have Forrester on our side. And while that may be true, there are people inside of those organizations that really should matter to you more so than the pub itself. Um, and I have a methodology for sort of thinking that through and, and how important people are or how uh, influence, influential people uh, are. But uh, it starts with the human being, not the organization. Okay. So thinking about the people um, and how do we know what makes a good influencer? Like if I think about Gartner, it's probably one of the, you know, biggest names that people know. Yep. And there are lots of analysts, um, you know, that specialize in different things that have. So if I'm trying to figure out who should be my person, who should I be trying to build a relationship with, getting them to love what I offer? How do I figure that out? How do I know that like, this is my person that I need to be targeting? Yep. There are two axes uh, in that decision. The first one is reach. So uh, how, how large of a platform does this person have? Um, how often do they publish or how often do they, they you know, speak, whatever the word? Um, who's listening? What geographies do they cover? You know, what, what's, the, what's the reach that ultimately they have? That's an easy word for marketers to understand. That's not enough, though. That's just how, how loud or how visible they are. The other axis is relevance. So that's the Y axis. Think of it as an XY. Think of it as a magic quadrant, actually. <laughs> um, you've got your reach across the x-axis from very small to very large and your relevance axis from uh, general, uh, squishy, vague, you know, undetermined to laser focused on what we focus on ourselves, what we care about ourselves. Um, and when you've got those two axes at work, you can begin to plot people on the x-y, on, on the magic quadrant, if you will. So people who are in the upper right are going to have a very wide, uh, a very rather broad reach, uh, or very large reach, I should say, and a very specific relevance to your you know, area of interest. And then people in the bottom left quadrant are going to not be very visible, and they're going to be a little general in their approach. So you can imagine the other two vertices or the other two quadrants pretty easily. Yeah, so I love the idea of making a magic quadrant for the people who make a magic qua magic quadrant. Right. Uh, <laughs> that uh, I, I love that visual of like out Gartnering Gartner. Uh, <laughs> oh no, I, I I didn't out Gartner them. I stole it. <laughs> Which I think is why they exist, so that we can all <laughs> emulate them. Uh, okay. But. Okay, so we know that we are thinking about this. So let, let's take it out of the context of like the journalists and the analysts, I, I think are kind of the um, easier path mm -hmm. because they are highly visible and, and generally known in the space. Um, yeah. But let's go a step further. I know you listed consultants and there was, you know, a whole list beyond journalists and analysts. So what does that look like? So there's a larger group, good question, of influencers who will guide your future buyer's decision um, who are not actively buying from you today. And those are, like you said, consultants who are in the in the ecosystem and they're they're sitting in board meetings with large organizations and they're speaking to the te technology committee, you know, about the shortlist that the technology committee has come up with. Um, so they're hired effectively 
experts in the in the specialization to help a, a buying organization or a buying entity or buying team hone in on the exact right solution. These are often very expensive engagements, right? Um, the other cohort that we haven't really talked about yet is your reference customer. So of course, these are people who have bought from you in the past. They are not actively buying, but they are speaking on your behalf when you have a prospect in the funnel who's thinking about it. So I wanna put on the phone with that person, somebody just like that buyer and have him or her have a positive interaction with that reference customer and hear all about their experience. So even though your customers have paid you money in the past, as an influencer, they're just happy campers. Okay. So, so we are thinking about the people. So really framing who our influencers are, are the people who are already going to be talking about us or people like us. And we want to influence their insight about the org, um, you know, who we are, what we do, why we're amazing. So how, you know, it's like this all sounds great. And a lot of companies have, you know, roles that focus on analyst relations. Yep. I'd say not many B2B companies have a role dedicated to, you know, influencer marketing. Um, so how do we justify this effort? You know, it yeah. always comes down to measurement, proof that it's worth the effort and investment. So what does that look like in a B2B environment? That's a great question. I'm really glad you asked that um, because it is measurable, certainly. While it has to do a lot with brand, it does also have to do with revenue or, or demand and revenue in combination. So the first aspect is measuring output, right? How many times did you reach out to Gartner? How many briefings have you done? Uh, how many emails have you sent to your, your, you know, your short list of Gartner analysts who are writing next month's report? Whatever. That's just a bunch of outputs. Um, outcomes ultimately are measured on um, coverage in the media, uh, mentions, because uh, you can be covered without being mentioned. Your, your space is covered favorably or unfavorably. How many mentions, favorable, unfavorable, neutral, are you getting? Um, and then how many uh, deals did that particular influencer um, ride along with? So if it's, if it's an analyst, for example, and they wrote a report on um, your involvement in, on the wave or the magic quadrant, and you move from, I don't know, niche to visionary or something like that, um, you can certainly measure that movement on that, on that uh, graph, but you can also measure whether or not that analyst or that influencer had an impact on the buying committee's decision at the buying organization that, you know, made their decision last month and their, their big, you know, tech buy was covered in the press. So there are oftentimes easy ways to correlate decisions that go your way or not um, with uh, public coverage of that decision. Um, so it's really about tying uh, brand mentions, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, uh, and then also deals in the door. Okay. And really curious on your take, and maybe like this question is actually a little bit self-serving because we're going through the process now of figuring out how to measure more of the brand impact. How do, like, how have you or how have you seen other companies actually track these things to yeah. be able to, you know, you think about so many other things. It's so easy. Like, you know, you look at your Google analytics for your web visits, but this is one with, you know, mentions and things like that, that it really, it happens all over the place. Right. So how have you seen people keep track of it 
in order to be able to measure it? It is not neat and tidy. I will just tell you that right now. It is a um, inelegant and labor intensive process. But if you measure it well, then that labor is worth it because you're ultimately proving the value of your activity, tying it to the outcomes the business wants to see. Um, there are actually, and I don't know of any by name today, uh, but there are a number of software packages that allow you to track uh, influencer engagements and influencer um, actions, if you will, not on the B2C side, but on, on the B2B side. You know, TikTok lets you measure it on the B2C side um, or whatever platform you're advertising in or, or, or social or posting organically in. But on the B2B side, there are large software packages that integrate with Salesforce and HubSpot and other CRMs where you can actually tie um, individual entities and the people inside of them. They're just like accounts and contacts in Salesforce um, that allow you to understand whether or not that individual influenced a particular deal. Um, so the, in, the influencer activity is tracked inside of that platform. And by virtue then of associating that data with your Salesforce data, you can report on you know, deals in the door from your own activity on your team. The other thing, of course, you can do is track good old fashioned PR metrics like we've all done, I'm sure at some point in our careers. Um, mentions, you know, sentiment, um, share of voice, all, all those kinds of charts and graphs that you might care about on the PR side. So those things in concert with each other can be really powerful for measurement. Okay, um, and, and that, and I, I love this because a lot of times when um, we introduce not necessarily new concepts, but something that our listeners are not already doing, it becomes this new thing that we have to figure out and resource for. But right. what I'm hearing is this isn't necessarily really new. Like we're doing a lot of it. We have, you know, we've all tracked the PR metrics. So that applies here as well. So it really is a reframing of how we're doing certain things in order to really leverage influencer marketing to drive that demand. That's right. You wouldn't want to set out in year one uh, trying to become a leader in the magic quadrant, right? It's just maybe you're not even eligible for the report. Maybe you're not even uh, on the radar, right, of, of, the, of the magic quadrant. Or maybe you're not on the radar of some boutique analyst firm's, you know, best vendor report, wherever the case might be. But your first year metrics could be, we want to be mentioned favorably three times in tier one trade publications. Okay, that's you know that's a manageable goal, or ten times, or pick a number, right? So when you set out on this on this journey, you don't want to go from zero. You, it's impossible to go from zero to sixty in you know five seconds. You need to go from zero to ten in thirty seconds, and then you'll get to twenty and thirty and so on. So it's really a uh, if you're starting from the ground up, it is a process to build. But I would say after twelve months, uh, assuming the product team is innovating, um, your sales team is delivering, is you know executing and, and growing top line you're going to end up on the radar of those organizations that you want to, you know, show up on. Okay. So essentially if we start now, then, you know, as we move into the next calendar year, uh, we should have, you know, really establish ourselves and have those relationships. Exactly. So where does this live in terms of responsibility? So thinking about, like what role, what title, you know, if I'm trying to figure out where, who should own this within my marketing org, where do you see this sit most often? Uh, at an organization of, I'd say 50, in a marketing organization, excuse me, of about 50 people, it could be its own, easily its own team, an influencer marketing team. 
if you're in a marketing organization that's you know 40 or fewer, uh, it might be called something different. It might be called PRAR. Uh, it might be called you know brand. It might be called um, content marketing. It sort of morphs over time into various permutations. But as you become more focused on the goal you want to achieve, we want to make it into the magic quadrant. We want to be in three reports that um, directors of IT at Fortune 500 companies use. Whatever that measurable goal is, um, you're going to sort of up your game and bring your content team or your PR team into more of an influencer marketing uh, habit or, or you know trajectory. Uh, so I think it, I've seen it in, in organizations that are as you know as, as small as 50, and then of course if you've got a marketing org of hundreds, then certainly you're you know you're a team of many at that point. Okay, so what I'm hearing is when you're larger, it's likely going to be its own thing. When you're a bit smaller, it's going to live more in that PR brand kind of space. So even though we're going to leverage it to help to drive demand, these are not roles that sit within the demand organization. That is, you're right. It is it is an accelerator. It is not a pure demand generator. It's sort of, it's, um, it's an augmentation to the demand engine. Okay. Yeah. And that's why I want to hit on that. Cause I do know that, you know, that's a common question is, okay, this is something different that we need to focus on to have in our plan, but where should it live? Who should it sit with? You know, does it belong in a current role? Does it need to be its own role? Like all of those questions come up. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, we, we talked about this as being something that can help to drive demand, uh, I, I'm glad you offered that clarification in that it is not a demand role, like very, you know, similar to brand. Your brand efforts definitely drive demand, but, you know, it's it's not measured the same there. Another place it often lives or it's often born is product marketing. So with that, with that um, proximity to the innovation side of the business and the, the delivery side of the business, um, you're often most equipped or best equipped to educate the market about what it is you're doing to transform whatever you're transforming. Um, so with that, that proximity to product, you're, you're the, you're the best spokesperson for educating that influencer cohort. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a strong collaboration with your product marketing team yes. um, or product marketer, depending on your size, if you've got more than one is a good opportunity there because I do know that a lot of times it is going to be like some of the analysts and things like that, that do drive some of the product decisions um, and, or influence some of the product decisions, I should say. Um, so that is a good alignment as well. That's right. Uh, so talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. So in traditional therapy, the therapist would give the client some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. And so oh, wow. what I like is to have, you know, that clear takeaway of if I am running a marketing org and, you know, want to up my game, so to speak, when it comes to influencer marketing in the B2B space, what's my first step? What's that one thing that I can do to start moving the needle in the right direction? Find 10 people. Okay, 10 people. So if you if you start reading the 
pubs or wherever you like to go and drink water, right? To, to educate yourself on the market, figure out your shortlist, your, your first shortlist of just 10 potential influencers. They may, they may not be the 10 best or the 10 most influential, um, but you're going to start that list and grow it maybe into the dozens, into the hundreds over time. Who knows, right? Depending on what kind of market you're in. Um, but you can't start without that first 10. So if you don't really know who is influencing decisions on your behalf out in the ether, find those people and make that list. I love that. That is a, a great easy win is to at least find the 10. And then going back to what we discussed earlier, this is where you can plot them on your own magic quadrant of reach versus relevancy. Uh, and, you know, if you don't have any of that 10 in your upper right, then that's like a sign to keep digging some more. Um, or you may, you know, have so, some golden nuggets that you already get in your first 10. So I think that is an awesome takeaway. Fantastic. Um, well, I have enjoyed our discussion, but that's our time for today. Thanks, Brandy. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for joining me and thank everyone for listening in. I hope that you have enjoyed my conversation with Dan. I can't believe we're at the end. See you next time. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.